No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I hope my show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So feel free to call in if you have a question uh, at 888-628-6008. And tonight we have some really special people in our continuing uh, effort to to do stuff for Black History Month. Uh, as you guys might remember, we had Chuck Kicks on, and then we had Governor Doug Wilder. And tonight we have somebody, actually two people, that are actually doing great work in uh, the African-American community here in Washington, in Anacostia. Uh, we have Jackie Carter, and we also have Dwayne Harris with us. And they are... Uh, involved in a thing called the Children's Legacy Theater. And rather than have me lamely explain what the Children's Legacy Theater is, let me let me welcome them to the show and have them do it. Uh, Jackie, are you there? I am right here. Thank you so much. All right. No, thank you so much. So tell us, either you or Dwayne, tell us what exactly is the Children's Legacy Theater? Children's Legacy Theater was, um, we and officially came together in 2016 to provide um, creative venue for our young people who are at risk of uh, failing high school, drug use, teen pregnancy, couch surfing. Um, that's initially uh, our reason for um, putting this company together, and that remains our, our reason. So what we do is we train teens ages 14 to 18 in all of the theater arts disciplines. We hire theater professionals from the community and the community at large, teaching artists, to train them in acting, directing, playwriting, set design, sound design, costume design, prop management, marketing and public relations, uh, box office sales. And after we train them, we step back and allow them to manage and present live theater to the community. So we do two uh, performances, two full plays a year, and in the summer we do a 10-minute play festival where the young people write the 10-minute plays and we stage them. So that's pretty well, much you, what we do. Well, I, you know, I think it's really great that you do this, and I think you've led – left one essential item out of this, which is what attracted me to you in the first place, is that you actually pay these people. You pay these people to do this. And and I think that's really important. But tell me, why do you do it? Why do you pay them? 
Absolutely. So since we, um, I first started working in Anacostia as a student at Howard University and working with the smaller kids. And then I gradually, I formed a company called Anna's Gold Children's Theater and began working with the, um, the teenagers. And one of the things that I noticed was that the young people wanted, did not mind doing uh, honest days work for an honest day's pay. And it um, helped them focus. It helped them commit to uh, schoolwork, helped them commit to themselves, helped them commit to graduating high school and moving on to greater things. And I believe personally that any organization working at the grassroots level who is receiving funding, working with teenagers at the grassroots levels, should make it a job for the kids. The should the kids should get paid. So yeah, because it, it empowers. It's right, I'm it's sorry. Right thing to do. It empowers them, doesn't it? It, it? it says to them, "Your labor is worthwhile. What you're doing is 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 worthy uh, of compensation." And and you know, at least that's the way I felt about it when I when I saw what you were doing or heard what you were doing was this empowers these kids and and that's the really important thing I think. Let me say before we go any further uh, that I have a soft spot in my heart for what you do because my mom was in charge of the community theater in North New Jersey, and anybody that knows North New Jersey knows, especially when I grew up there in the 1960s, that it was a pretty tough place to grow up. And she did children's theater out of uh, uh, public radio in New York City. And, uh, you know, she always felt that she was giving so much to the children. Uh, so let, let me ask um, uh, Dwayne, uh, since you're the marketing PR person, how do you market this to the community, Dwayne? And what kind of response are you getting from the community? Okay. So for how I market the, um, this specific production is... That yeah, this specific... To, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so we actually go out into the community um, around where we're stationed at, around the uh, Martin Luther King Avenue and uh, Alabama Avenue, and we pass out uh, individual flyers and press releases. Um, we also send a lot of emails out to all the churches in the area, um, all the community centers, rec centers, um, homeless shelters, all the, especially all the schools. Um, where else? We, we send them to very numerous places um, to get them. We actually give out a lot of uh, free tickets for people who are, um, who can't afford the tickets. So like certain um, parents of the students who can't afford tickets, we give them free tickets uh, some to the school so they can come out and see our productions and see what we're doing for the uh, youth in the community. Um, and our responses are, are really, uh, I can't find the best word for it, but I'll just say genuine. Um, people are loving the, the legacy that this this community, this uh, organization is leaving behind in the community, um, that we're uplifting youth through theater arts and also introducing them to Black history and letting them know where what happened in this specific time frame in the 1950s of when this play actually took place. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. 
because it's Black History Month, and you're doing a, a play called uh, The Amen Corner by James Baldwin, which uh, deals with Christianity, poverty, prejudice in the black community. So why? what's important about this play, especially since it's Black History Month? Okay. Uh, Ms. Jackie, you want to explain a little bit more on this? Sure. I'll take that place. So um, as you know, or a lot of your listeners may know, um, we um, came to this country on a boat. Language was taken, culture was taken, and we were given a new identity. And one of the greatest identities we're given was Christianity. And James Baldwin, the writer of this play, felt that his life was completely turned upside down by Christianity. It helped to, Christianity helped to steer him away from who he was, the person, who he was, African-American. And what, what the thing that he wanted to do the most with this play is ex, expose that, that, that Chris, with the main character, Margaret, uh, she used Christianity as a shield to conceal um, facts about her life and to raise her status above um, her congregants. Why is that important? Because, um, if I can just speak very honestly here, and I appreciate the platform to do that. Yeah, of course. Um, right. Um, in, the, in the black community, we have always looked towards the church for uh, guidance and leadership. Well, during the 1960s civil rights uh, movement, uh, Dr. King looked, also looked towards the church. Some churches, some churches got in line with them, but a lot of black churches did not. Um, you know, out of fear of losing this or that or whatever they were going to get with uh, get for um, for their church or losing whatever privileges they had for their church, they did not get behind Dr. King, though he stayed committed to um, the Christian um, tenets of, of Christianity. Christianity for James Baldwin, he didn't feel it was necessary. He didn't need it anymore. There was something greater at risk, and that was that Christianity. Is you was is in his mind anyway being used to divide the people, to separate them. Black churches over here, white churches over there. Everybody's using the Holy Bible. Everybody's worshiping God, except when it comes to sitting as true brothers and sisters. While this play deals with intra-racial issues, so it's black on black, which is part of the issue problem that we have in the community today, black on black. So you don't see any um, Ku Klux Klan members coming down into the black community to terrorize us. It's all systemic right now, and we're spinning on our own axis without the help of a Klansman, without the help of a preacher. The information is built into the language is built into the information. What I mean by information is the um, tools that beat you down, that allow you to not look at yourself, to look out outer for a, somebody to come and save you, as opposed to going inner and becoming your own savior. Um, this was the challenge of, of Margaret in the play as well, um, teaching her congregants to look out there for the savior. And who's out there? She's there waiting with a bowl full of lies, 
to continue to uh, propel herself forward. Part of the major problem that we have here in, in the Black community today, which is the reason why this play is so appropriate for Black History Month, because it allows us to do an introspection. It allows well, us to pump the brakes and say, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. It allows the uh, African American. I'm sorry. I'm talking over you. Please go ahead and finish. It allows the African American community to pump the brakes and say, um, so yes, we do love God. Yes, we are spiritual people. But let's also look at the lies that we're hiding behind. The lies that Christianity allows us to uphold. So that we won't get, we'll never get to um, the truth about who we are and how we're treating each other. Well, I think that's amazing, and I think that that uh, it really is something that needs to be discussed because we see or or brought out because we see this in the black community. You're right; it's not Klansmen that are coming down into Anacostia. It's young black people shooting other young black people. I mean, uh, so uh, I, I think it's very, it, it sounds like a very poignant piece of work. I've, I've never seen the play, but I look forward uh, to, to a chance to get down there and see it. Uh, also, uh, I don't know when Mr. Baldwin came upon this revelation. I came upon it as a college student. You were at Howard. I was at Maryland. But I studied Karl Marx and among other people in my political science background. And, you know, Marx always said that religion was the opiate of the masses for exactly the reason you're pointing out, uh, Jackie, that that it, it makes people look outward instead of inward uh, for salvation. Uh, so uh, it sounds like a great piece of work. And I hope everybody will come to see it. Uh, first of all, uh, let me, uh, I don't want to digress here, but tell people when the play is going to be on and how they can get tickets. Right. So the play is going to be, um, DJ, help me with this, February 24th through the 26th. February 24th through the 26th at the address of 2300. Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue, so Washington, D.C., Southeast. Um, <clears throat> this play will be at the Solomon G. Brown Center um, right off of um, MLK. So if you need a more accurate um, <clears throat> description or something uh, adjacent around the area, would be Anacostia Train Station. Um, and uh, the tickets... You can get them from either through phone call, which will be at our number, 202-997-1856, or through our website at Children's Legacy Theater 8.org, Children's with the S, and Theater spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E instead of E-R. Let, let me ask you something, Dwayne. Uh, did you come to the theater uh, as an employee? Or, or, I mean, well, you're all employees, but did you work as a young person in the theater before you became the marketing and PR and social uh, media person, lighting person, 
because uh, I know you're a teacher. I know you teach there. Before you taught, were, were you, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what you call the people. The, do you call them students, interns, actors? What do you call the, the people involved in the program? Were you one of the people that was brought into the program as a young person? So, yes, um, I actually was one of the people brought into the program. So we call them youth because regardless of, uh, you know, age and status, if, you know, all of them, all of the kids and you know, are, are youth. So I like to refer to them as youth because of um, how, I, how I feel towards that subject. Um, as everybody, I believe, should be as a whole. So I just say it as youth. Um, cause they're still growing, you know, they have much room to, to grow. Um, I actually came in 2016, the year 2016, um, not actually to, to join the company. Um, I came in to drop somebody else off at the company, um, at the organization, you know, was intrigued for a little bit. So I stayed around for about five minutes and, um, Ms. Carter, Ms. Jackie Carter, the executive director, she saw something in me, um, and was saying that you know, I could do something there and I could become more because I didn't know what I wanted to um, actually do with my life at the at the moment. Um, and she saw me as an actor at the time. So I became an actor um, and did the Martin Luther King play the meeting um, with Malcolm X. So I was a Martin Luther King. And from there, I <clears throat> progressed in order to become uh, a sound and light um, background youth and I stayed there for about a year or two and um, I, I became a assistant sound and lights manager because I was um, learning and you know getting better in my job description um, and just last year of the 2022 uh, I took a year off to go to the military so I just got back from that um, and when I came back I took on a new role as marketing and PR manager while also in the evening shift doing um, sound and lights uh, manager where I teach the youth um, how to run sound and lights. Um, and, well, pretty soon, oh, and pretty soon, um, me and uh, Ms. Jackie Carter have been talking about a, a new role of me uh, becoming production manager, which is something that um, that's going to be very new to me, um, but we're still in the process of that. Well, that's should great. I just add on to that? Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, DJ uh, was a student at Blue High School. He started working with me when he was 15. Wow. So I recruited him at Blue. Yep. Well, and, and, and let me tell you, one of the things, uh, I'm a high school dropout. I never finished high school because I was orphaned at the age of 15 and I had to go to work. But uh, I later uh, turned my life around and ended up with a master's degree. So I have a very uh, soft spot, not only for children's theater, but for kids that don't make it through high school. And when I started as the senator for the District of Columbia uh, 20 years or 16 years ago, uh, almost 50% of the kids at, uh, sorry, at Anacostia High School uh, dropped out before they finished. I mean, it, it was, it astounded me. I just couldn't believe it. So, uh, you know, it's amazing that you're in uh, places like Baloo, Jackie, pulling these kids out. 
and getting them to, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of find a path for themselves in life, whether they make it a career or not. You know, my mom, just for you people out there listening, my mom actually was a professional that worked in education, but theater was her passion. Her whole life she was involved in theater. So you can make it your career or you can make it your, it doesn't have to be your career, it can be your passion, uh, you know, it can be the thing that, 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 that you love to do that gives, um, um, you know, purpose to your life. And I want you to know, I've never been in a play in my entire life. My father wrote a play one time, uh, which uh, w- was put on locally, and uh, he starred in the first production of it. And they told, they removed him because they said he was singly the worst actor. He was a good playwright, but he was singly the worst actor. And the best part of this story is that the leading parts were him and my mom. And they replaced him with a guy that was 20 years younger than him and really, really handsome. So he got to play opposite my mom in the next season. And, and and that really annoyed my dad. But unfortunately, I I think I inherited his acting gene. So I've, I've never really uh, tried to do it. Uh, before we go any further, Dwayne, let me, let me thank you for your service. You said you went into the military, and we certainly, uh, uh, I certainly would be remiss if I didn't thank you for that. But let me ask you, beyond the lessons that you learned, uh, what, maybe Jackie wants to feel this question. What do you think of uh, uh, bringing theater to the under this underserved community? You've talked about what it does for the kids. What does it do for the community to have, have theater in the community? In Anacostia, places, a place that people can go and see this kind of thing. Do you want to take that, DJ? You want me to do it? Uh, I think we both might have something to add, honestly. Okay. Okay. okay, so um, what I believe that this um, theater of Children's Legacy Theater does for the community is it actually gives people a second chance, honestly, and lets people, the youth, more so uh, speaking specifically, um, <clears throat> to give them a second chance at doing what, doing what they would actually um, enjoy doing. So a lot of people like me, like myself, prime example, youth, didn't know that I had a passion for theater arts until somebody saw something in me, which was Miss Jackie Carter, which she has bestowed that upon me to actually go out in the community and find that in other individuals. But beyond the youth, this actually shows um, the seniors and the adults in the community of what we're doing for their youth and also how we're bringing um, our theater arts out into um, into fruition into the into the community to show that through through theater arts that there is something else that can be done in the community other than you know what people are uh, statistically uh, you know identifying us with, which is like violence and all that other negativeness is where we're a positive in the community where people can outlook on us to uplift our um, specific uh, location. Well, well said. 
Um, the biggest thing it does is it brings the community together. We have all of our all of our shows are sold out standing room only. That means that the community is coming together to safe spaces, to creative spaces. That means that the community is safer because the children are no longer troubled and being menacing in the community. They have a safe space to create. They're earning a little money. The grades are improving. Everybody's happy. So for me, what it does, the most important part that it does, one of the most important parts it does is brings the community together. I can share with you, Senator, the numerous letters that we get from the students telling us about how theater, working for Children's Legacy Theater, has turned their lives around. Letters that say, I used to get in trouble in school. I used to get suspended, but not anymore. Now I do my homework. Now I pay attention in class. Thank you, Children's Legacy Theater. We get letters like that from students. I have folders full of letters. So it improves the schools, makes the community safe, brings this community together. And the most important is it helps the children to find themselves, to get productive in the community, to be positive contributing members in the community and in the society. Well, you know, that's one of the things that impressed me, uh, Jackie, when you and I met at a celebration uh, around the holidays uh, at the Ark, which is a public venue here in Washington. Uh, I was uh, impressed not only with your, you guys did uh, some theater work there that night. I was impressed with that and impressed with the idea, but I was also very impressed about how well you received you were by the audience. The audience really, really gave you a warm reception, and, and, and I think not only because you did a good job, but also because of the things you just said, that they looked there and they saw these young people doing, I know this is the way I felt, uh, that they saw young people doing something very positive uh, that uplifted them. And, uh, yeah, we hear so much negative stuff about young people today that it always does your heart good, right? It always does. It, it always makes you feel good when you hear some great story uh, about uh kids that are doing something really positive because we all worry about we all worry about the negativity in the world especially in the way it affects our children um you've been let me ask you i asked Dwayne this question Dwayne this question now let me ask you uh you've been involved in children's theater jackie i read your your bio uh since the time you were in college uh what attracted you to children's theater? Right. So I have a deep, deep, deep love for children. I love them. And teenagers are my favorite. I don't know why, oh, but they are my, my favorite. I do know why, actually. I think they're my favorite because I like I like teenagers because they're at that point where they can do a lot, but at the same time they're fighting for some level of form of independence. And I enjoy directing that energy towards 
them doing something with their hands, something with their minds, being creative, and then watching as the light bulb clicks and they get it. I can do whatever I set my mind to. I can achieve it. Not not that I'm necessarily trying to um, make sure everyone becomes an actor, a director, a producer, or a playwright. That would be great, too. But to use theater so that they can see themselves. You know, take get into the space that's safe. Free of drugs. It's free of profanity. No pressure. No bullying. No sexual activity. No intent of sexual activity. Just a safe space for you to test your metal. And when they get into positions of leadership where they'll come to me and say, well, Miss Jackie, what should I do about this or what should I do about that? And that, then I turn it and say, well, what do you think we should do? And then we talk it through, letting them think out their ideas. And then I say, okay, great, that's a good one. Let's go do that. And then just watch them grow. Because a lot of the young people who come to us from Anacostia High School, Blue High School, Friendship, I can just name all the schools that, that work with us in Ward 7 and Ward 8. Um, some of them are, are, are good to go. You know, they don't need a lot of redirecting. Most do. And when they come to us, they're apprehensive. Um, we, we do very little recruiting um, until recently because uh, uh, Dwayne goes into the schools now and recruits from the schools. But before that, we did very little recruiting. The kids, it was all word of mouth. And the kids would bring their friends, they would bring their, their cousins, they would bring their, their sister, brother, can they work with us, can they work with us? So initially, they came because, oh, I want a job, oh, I want a paycheck. But what made them stay on, stick around is that there's no corporal punishment. You can make a mistake here, and you have an opportunity to fix it at least 100 times until you can get it right. And you will find adults at Children's Legacy Theater who are very friendly towards you, who love you, who want to bring out your creativity, who want to give you a second chance so that you can get to a point where you're self-correcting, so that you can get to a point where you're actually a leader. We have a system that we call TRAP-L. And we, we use that system in our workshops when we're training our kids. TRAP-L is teamwork, response to supervision, appearance punctuality, and leadership. We ingrain that in them day in and day out, not with a ruler, not with an ironclad fist, but first by way of example. And then allowing them to, as my grandmother would say, make a mistake. You have to make a mistake before you actually can learn. If Hopefully it's a little mistake, but sometimes it's a big mistake, but at Children's Legacy Theater, there's always an opportunity to get it right, to keep trying until you get it right. That's what makes the kids stay. That's what makes them want to continue to try, to go back to school, go back into the classroom, give it another shot. Um, and we also work with the teachers. So we we. we talk to teachers, we call teachers, we get involved, we invite them out to production so that they can see the kid in a different light. Well, I, I, well, I have to tell you, um, I don't 
necessarily share your enthusiasm for teenagers since I raised a few myself, but, uh, I, I, I do, I am very enthusiastic about what you do because as a teenager, I've already said, you know, I dropped out of high school. I, I was willing to throw my life away as a teenager until a couple of people uh, like you, Jackie, uh, intervened in my life and turned my life around. Uh, so uh, that's why, you know, I'm not sure I would love to be around teenagers all the time. I was a youth group leader at my church, and sometimes they frustrated me. But uh, I loved them all, but, but they, I found them frustrating at times. And my wife is a, is a high school librarian, so she deals with them all the time. But uh, really, there were people like you, Jackie. I hope you fully understand that uh, you're, you're, really, you're really so important in the role that you play because uh, there's so many kids that are willing to throw their lives away because they don't have the, they, you know, that's the one thing about the, about being a teenager, right? Is you can't see very far down the road. You can only see to the end of your nose pretty much. So it takes people like you to step in and, and turn them around and God bless you for what you do. Um, What else do you guys want to add? What am I not asking you that you want to say about children's legacy theater that you think is important? Well, we've started, um, <clears throat> we've added a couple of components to children's legacy theater that grew out of our 10 minute play festival. So as well, I, that, as I, excuse me, just let me say, I think that's a great idea. And my, daughter who's in who's in improv in chicago she used to do these plays at wilson high school they would do and i forget what they called them but the kids wrote them and they did them and that was you know where 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 she started uh and and uh yeah i think those are really really important go ahead i'm sorry to interrupt yeah so no no problem so the 10 minute play festival um every summer we six weeks um, we have the kids in one week write a 10-minute play. <clears throat> then we use the last five weeks to rehearse, um, bring in costumes, set, sound, lights. We're working with like upwards of 80 kids um, in the summer to the 10-minute play festival. Some of the young people wanted to continue with their plays. They wanted to develop them into full plays. So we partnered with the Black Women's Playwright Group to help our young people who wanted to to um, see their plays, uh, a full version of their plays. So we do it in three phases. So the first phase, of course, is to write the 10-minute play. And then the second phase, working with um, the Black Women Playwright, um, Black Women's Playwright Group, professional playwrights, um, is to help them develop that 10-minute play to a one act. And then May 24th to the 25th, we will present the first play in the one-act play festival. Then we go on to phase three. Phase three is to take the one act and develop that into a full play, a two-act play. And then that two-act play gets put into our main season. So the process is about a year and a half. 
But Dr., wow. we're really excited about that. We also and, partnered with. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. We also partnered with Glenn Allen, who's the executive director of the DC Black Theater Festival, and they are training our young people as um, play directors. So, a part of the um, One Act Play Festival, as we will introduce two new play directors, who will go through a series of workshops with Glenn Allen as as directors. So, we're very excited about very excited wow. about this work. And let me ask you. Uh, I know that you, you, your your students often write and direct and act in these plays. Do they also design costumes, make scenery, uh, do all those other things that are associated with putting on a play? Absolutely, great question. I'm going to let um, um, Dwayne take some of this. Go ahead, Dwayne. Oh so yes, our uh, <clears throat> our youth does. Um, excuse me, our youth. Um, helps with designing the costumes. They go out and actually uh, mix and match um, at different stores and try to put the costumes together for the time period of which um, which costumes we're looking for for which era. Um, like this one specifically is in the 1950s, so they would go out and they would actually research on the computers first to see how people used to dress back then, um, white versus black, and how since this is since this play is uh, targeted primarily at uh, the black community, uh, we look more so there. And then they will go out and they mix and match costumes until they find something that fits just perfect for those types of uh, for that type of era. And then we also look at the type of scenes that we're going to be uh, producing, which is you know in the church and in the uh, house, and you know how they would dress at every given moment. Um, when it comes to the other departments, actually, our youth. Um, sits with an instructor for, let's say, for the department of set. And they will sit there and learn how to work tools and learn how to cut wood, learn how to uh, drill, do all different types of set-related things, and they build the set from scratch. So everything that the audience and the viewers will come out and see will be handmade, every nail, screw, you know, piece of uh, wood that is put together. That's all the youth doing that by hand. Um, when it comes to lights and sound, which is, you know, my department, I train each and every individual, regardless if they're going to be behind the soundboard or if they're going to be behind um, a lighting board um, to learn how to work both sections. So that way they can be versatile and they'll know how to work both because it's not just, we're not just sticking a kid behind one department and expecting them to stay there forever. We want them to learn different types of aspects of the uh, theater arts and put them in different departments so they'll be able to grow and have more knowledge. Like me, I have been, um, you know, here and there, even though I've mainly been in sound and lights and now marketing and PR, I have dipped my foot in, you know, a couple other different uh, apartments just to make sure I get my, uh, my knowledge up of the theater arts. That way, when it's time for me to transition, just like, uh, you know, me taking myself for an example, um, transitioning to like a production manager, I know what's going on here in, in each department and what uh, time frames are and, you know, other things like that. So we train the youth on how to be versatile in every department 
um, as long as, you know, they keep staying with us and we'll train them on each play and each play be maybe a new department or what they feel they are ready for. So we don't just pick them up and take them out, but we let them come to us and say, hey, I'm ready for something new. I already mastered this. Um, I want something, you know, something new I haven't done before. And we train them on that. Well, let me ask you, does this start like in, in costume design? Let's say you were doing a musical like uh, Ragtime, which starts, which is around the turn of the century. Do the kids actually go out and do research and see how African-Americans dressed at the turn of the century and use that as a basis for the design of costumes? Right. So what you do is we'll take the play first. And before we do any type of, uh, any type of like uh, research, anything, we go through it. So we'll set us down with all the pages. Everybody gets a script. We'll go through it. We'll see what, uh, what we need to cut out, what we need to keep, what our main focus is, you know, everything of that nature. And then we'll go and divvy up the department. So we'll go through the whole script all together, even if it's like 150 pages. We'll all sit there. You know, it might take us two days, something like that. Um, and we'll go through it finally, maybe read it a couple of times over, maybe four or five times just to make sure we didn't miss anything. And then we'll divvy up for the research. Hospitality will get their research. Um, costumes will start researching um, the era of what it's on. Set and light will start talking about the scenery and what what it looks like at certain amounts of times and what type of um, settings we will have or where they are stationed in each specific part of the play, whether it's inside or outside and how the lights will look. Or, you know, set will have to start researching what scenes are and what parts of the play that we kept. Or you'll even have the actors start working on, um, of course, their lines first, but then they'll start going over the blocking or where um, they will be put at each specific scene. Because if, you know, you have... uh, things overlapping something might be happening inside while it's another thing happening outside you know everybody has to be able to you know know their spacing and uh, their blocking so we always start with the script and then we work our way out uh to the departments like a like a spider web and can i add on to that <clears throat> just want to reiterate yeah, something that, just want to iterate something that Dwayne talked on um just want to explore it a little bit more so we always start with research we research the playwright we research the time period of the play. We research the content. We draw examples from sometimes other cultures. Um, we get into what the playwright's intent was. What was the message? What is the message that he's trying to um, deliver? We research the characters. We look for those characters in our in our own lives, um, you know, in our community, and we make it try to make it real. Make sure that those actors because sometimes our young people are playing characters that are much older than they are and so we want to make sure that they can um that they are able to answer any question that may be asked about the playwright the time period or the character at the end of at the end of of the um so like on the, the last show we'll open up the uh, show will open up the the, um, the cast and the crew to the audience for questions. Wow, that's great. And do they have any input into, I understand they write this stuff and they put it on, especially 
when you do the short plays, but uh, do they have any input into choosing the play? Uh, did did were 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 the people involved in the theater group uh, involved in making a choice to uh, uh, choose the Baldwin play, for example? Um, no, I I choose all the plays that we do. Um, mm-hmm. I talk to the team about it first, though. Um, I don't talk to the young people, the youth, as Dwayne say. I don't talk to the youth about it, but I talk to my team. Um, I don't think any of them are over 20, 21 years old. They're all young. But I do take it to them and say, hey, what do you think about this play? What do you think about this play? What do you think about this play? Um, but I eventually make the final decision. Yeah. Well, uh, that seems to make sense to me. Uh, but uh, let me ask you, is there, like I say, is there anything that you want to add? We're starting to run out of time here because I have a couple of little things to do at the end of the show. Uh, but um, uh, anything that you want to add? Again, let's tell people how they can get tickets. Right. So our tickets are available at Children's Legacy Theater 8.org. Children's Legacy Theater 8.org. Or they can call us at 202 997 1856. 202 997 1856. You can also go on our website and make a donation. We love donations. We love for the community to come out and buy a ticket, but we also like for the community to make a tax-deductible donation to Children's Legacy Theater. We need the money. We need the support. As we mentioned earlier, this is an after-school job for our kids. While we do get funding, it's never enough because the kids are just they come in like running water, and we don't want to turn any kid away at all. So if anybody's listening, and you have in your heart, um, God puts it on your mind and in your heart to send Children's Legacy Theater a tax-deductible donation. And you can do that on our website, childrenslegacytheater8.org. Um, also, too, come and see the play, February 24th to 26th at the Solomon G. Brown Community Center, 2300 Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue Southeast. You you'll 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 know you're at the right building when you see our huge banner out front that says Children's Legacy Theater. And here's what we can give you. We can give you free parking. So we're at the intersection of Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue and Morris Road Southeast. You make a right onto Morris Road if you're coming from the Anacostia Metro Station. If you're coming from the direction of the big chair, you make a left onto Morris Road. Can you make a first right into the parking lot. We have free parking for you. They come out and support us February 24th to the 26th at the Solomon G. Brown Community Center located in the Salvation Army building at 2300 Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue. So come on out and see us. And if you can't make it, please mail us a tax-deductible contribution. Well, you know what? First of all, you need to call the Kennedy Center, the National Theater, Arena Stage, because every time I go to a production there, I pay almost as much to park as I pay for the tickets. So see if you can convince them that that's a good idea. I mean, what a deal, folks. You get a great show. The tickets are very inexpensive, free parking. Everybody needs to come and see this and support this in the community. It's a positive thing. Uh, and God bless you, Jackie Carter and uh, 
uh, Dwayne Harris for working with these children and making our community a better place for all of us. Uh, I certainly am going to do my best to uh, come see you. And, uh, you know, if I ever, I had to have foot surgery, but if I ever get back to tap dancing, you know, I may, I may come down and try to audition. Uh, so we thanks so much. In Cinderella. <laughs> Cinderella. Okay. You know, but my feet are getting bigger and bigger, so you may not be able to find a shoe that fits. But, uh, 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 uh anyway, uh, thanks so much for being on the show, guys. Uh, we play a song at the end of every show, and we dedicate it to the people that have been on the show and, and to others. And tonight, uh, I'm going to say a few more things before we get off the air, but we're going to play a show by, uh, song by Nina Simone, because I know that was one of your first, uh, productions. Uh, Jackie was, uh, something that dealt with the music of, uh, this great jazz, uh, this great jazz great. And, uh, uh, so again, thanks for being on the show. And I look forward to seeing you down in Anacostia at the Children's Legacy Theater. Thanks, guys. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Bye. Before we sign off the air, I have a couple of things to talk about. First, I want to send out uh, a good vibe, I guess, to uh, a guy that I worked for that started my career in politics, and that was President Jimmy Carter. Uh, I worked on President Carter's re-election campaign. We didn't win, but it started me on, on a road that I've been on for the last 40 years. This man was a great man, is a great man. I'm sorry, I, I, uh, what a horrible thing to talk about him in the past ten. But he is a great man. He's always reached out. He's 98 years old, and he's still reaching out to people. Uh, last year, we had somebody on our show that actually went to one of his Sunday school classes. He was still teaching Sunday school at 97 years old. So God bless you, uh, President Carter. Our prayers are with you. Uh, and I hope you, you will keep him in your prayers. But let me also say that um, this week, we've had a tough time on Capitol Hill. As most of you know, we fight for democracy here in the District of Columbia, which unfortunately we don't have. And when we pass a law, it has to go and sit on Capitol Hill for the approval of Congress. We're the only people in the world that have to do, the only people in the country, rather, that have to do this, that have to have Congress approve all our laws or tacitly approve by not disapproving them. Well, we just passed two laws in the District of Columbia. They were sent up to Capitol Hill, and um, the House of Representatives uh, issued what's called a resolution of disapproval, which means that they don't approve of the laws. And uh, these resolutions of disapproval have now been sent over to the Senate. The Senate will take this up in early March, we believe. And if they decide to go along with the House, and you know in the Senate we very often need 60 votes to overcome the filibuster, 
This only takes 51 votes, ironically enough, 51. Uh, so if they disapprove, uh, like the House did, and the president does not intervene with a veto, then the laws that we've legally passed here in the District of Columbia will never take effect. And that's just outrageous. The, the federal government shouldn't have a right to come into our local government and tell us what to do. It's against every principle of our democracy, and we're the only people that are subjected to this. If you live in Maryland or Kentucky or New Jersey or California or Ohio, the federal government can't tell you, doesn't have to approve or disapprove your law. So this is absolutely outrageous. And one of the things that I've done to try to um, mitigate the situation and let the Senate know how we feel is I've gone on moveon.org that's moveon.org, and we've put together a petition. And the petition is keep your hands off D.C. So I want all my listeners out there that believe in democracy and believe that people that pay taxes and fight in wars should have the same rights as every other citizens in America. Let's not forget that Washingtonians have been part of America since America began, I want you to go to moveon.org and sign on the petition, Keep Your Hands Off D.C., which asks the Senate not to approve these resolutions of disapproval. Uh, we'll see you next week for our last show in Black History Month. I'm proud that we've had somebody that was part of Black, a uh, person explain Black History who was an expert on our first week. Then we had Doug Wilder, who was part of Black History. And today we had uh, the two people from Legacy uh, Theater, Jackie Carter and Dwayne Harris, who are actually making Black History. So uh, happy Black History Month. We're going to do a show again next week, hopefully, with another uh, African-American guest that can Help us better understand uh, how we all fit together. Uh, here's a song from Nina Simone, which goes out to Miss Carter and Mr. Harris and all the people of Washington, D.C. who deserve equal rights. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me I wish I could say all the things that I should say Say I'm loud, say I'm clear for the whole round world to hear